You're listening to the Tuna Town Talks Fishing Podcast with Captain Paul Miller. Hello everyone, and thanks for listening. I'm a full-time charter captain based out of Ennis, Louisiana, and over the years I've seen some of the most incredible things, and some of my friends have told me some of the most unbelievable stories, so much to where I decided I would like to start a podcast. And now a word from our title sponsor, Blue Wave Boats. Blue Wave has been the number one selling bay boat along the Gulf Coast for many years now. And with over 50 square miles of marsh located out of Venice, Louisiana, it is essential that I choose the right boat to put my clients on fish. For the last four to five years, I've been using a 24-foot bay boat powered with a single 300 Suzuki, and it's been an amazing boat. However, over the years, I've also learned that I like to target a lot of different species that are near shore, so having a bigger boat with more power could help with that, which is why I've decided to move to a 26 Pier Bay powered with twin 200 Suzukis, and this has been the perfect size boat for being able to target multiple different species, especially because the boat has over four live wells in it, which allows me to use multiple different baits to target multiple different species. With the flush mounted seating, I'm also able to maintain ample fishability, all while still providing a comfortable ride for my clients. With the step toll technology, I'm able to be more fuel efficient at higher speeds, which is also a huge advantage when making long runs through the marsh. If you would like to purchase a Blue Wave boat, head on over to bluewaveboats.com where you can find your local dealer. One of my favorite things to eat while out on the water is either beef jerky or snack sticks. And my favorite place to get this is bourgeoismeatmarket.com. That's right, guys. This is some really good stuff. They don't use any nitrates or preservatives. It comes from one of the oldest meat markets in the world with over 130 years in existence and their fourth generation taking over now. I really want to get the word out about their product and how easy it is to go on their website, order what you want, and leave it on your boat. So go to bourgeoismeatmarket.com and use code TUNATOWNTALKS in all capital letters to get 10% off your order. That's right, guys. Go to bourgeoismeatmarket.com and use code TUNATOWNTALKS in all capital letters to get 10% off your order. That's bourgeoismeatmarket.com. B-O-U-R-G-E-O-I-S meatmarket.com. Alright guys, got a really cool episode here today. I'm here with uh, Captain Chris Moad, right? Yep. Yeah, Chris Moad from The Best Trait. Best Trait. Cool, man. Um, they have, for if for for my listeners that may be living under a rock somewhere, they've recently uh, killed the biggest blue marlin in the Gulf of Mexico at uh, 1,145 pounds. Pretty unbelievable fish and i'm here <clears throat> over at uh craig brumfield's house and um for guys you guys that don't know who that is that's a local artist and he, he had the pleasure of doing the uh giataku prints of this fish and they got three of them done and uh it's pretty remarkable prints huh <laughs> man they really kind of take the words away from me that guy's he's so talented and you know the colors and stuff that he's able to bring back to those fish is yeah, it's it looks inc- really good. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, super cool. Man, so uh, start off, I guess, I'm going to talk to you more about how you got started in fishing and stuff, but, I mean, the, the story I've, I've been dying to know, so um, I guess we can start with that. Like, how what what were you guys, um, start from wherever you want to, but I really want to know, like, w- you know, what, w- what were you guys fishing for? Like, was there a tournament involved, or were you guys just 
yeah it, there. it was just a fun trip so um you know we've been the last couple say month month and a half we'd been kind of targeting bigger fish for the mongos the end of the mongo tournament that six month long uh you know biggest blue marlin wins deal um you know the last few years i think three out of the, the four years that they've had it that tournament's been won at the end of september mm -hmm. you know the last couple weeks of it so that's a you know we did a lot of kind of light tackle white marlin fishing leading up to that and you know as soon as the water temps start dropping a little bit we spend more time back at the rigs you know the big tunas they show up before they end up inshore you know they kind of show up out there and there's normally some hefty blue marlins kind of migrating with them per se so we we uh went on a basically a strictly live baiting trip um you know live baiting for blue marlins and catching the big tunas um it was a just a fun trip the uh unfortunately the owner wasn't able to make it um so we took one of his guests and a and a friend out and uh left let's see we left the evening before not till like nine or ten o'clock so i was you know i prefer to leave before sunrise or sunset so you can you know make up a little gonna a little bit of ground and kind of get started exactly where you want to but mm -hmm. unfortunately we we stopped a little bit short of uh of my mark i was planning on going to blind faith but you know i ran out of time so we started fishing at at nakika and uh fishing was good we were uh let's see i think we had two bites and didn't catch either of them but they were both pretty nice ones and uh I was texting back and forth with a buddy of mine that was at Blind Faith, and uh, and they were leaning on them. I think there had been eight caught that morning before we got there. Holy cow! So they were they were chewing. So uh, what boat was that? Remind me. Uh, it was the Iceman, a invincible cat out of uh, out an of invincible went that many. Yeah. Holy cow! It, well, it was something? it was a couple boats there. It oh, wasn't okay. just one guy. Oh, it wasn't just one guy, but eight were caught. Yeah, there was eight day. eight caught between I think three boats. So everybody okay. was picking away at them so uh it was right before the major and we were still at nikika you know I, I had it to myself so i decided i was just going to stay there and then we got invaded by porpoises right at the start of the major so we basically firewalled it to uh to blind faith and pulled up put a couple teasers out uh you know just big lures with no hooks you didn't have bait um no we didn't have we had a few live baits, but uh, we just kind of ride around looking with the sonar just to okay. see what's so around. So you guys are using Omni sonar. Yeah. Yep, this is my first year with a sonar. So, what kind of boat are you guys in? The best trait? What is that? It's a fifty-five Viking. It's a Viking. Okay, mm -hmm. cool. That's a sweet boat, right? The yeah, yeah, it's a nice boat. Fifty-five. I like that size too. It's it <laughs> is a good size. You're still, you know, fairly fuel efficient and maneuverable, and it's a good fishing platform. Yeah. So, yeah, it's stick the sonar down in the water and right away I mark a double header there's two fish together and um, you know we made the decision just to go ahead and reel everything and reel in the two bridge teasers and uh, drop a bait on them so wind everything up and drop a, a live blackfin on uh, 400 pound on the first fish and it wheels around and just totally avoids us wants nothing to do with it won't won't let you get close to it so I go in to the other mark which is a little bit bigger mark and Man, was, we were still 200 feet away from the mark when we threw the bait, and that thing, 
man, he was coming. You he could, was coming, huh? You could see the mark just flying across the street. And I was like, oh, get ready. You're about to get a bite. He's like, <laughs> oh, my bait's nervous. And then everybody's watching. Boom. Big going away bite right on top, like swivel, <sighs> almost at the rod tip right behind the boat. And uh, Wow, you could see that the. Oh, yeah. You wow. could see big shoulders, big tail. You know, tail was sticking. The bait, you, so when, when you say that, the bait was like thir within 30 feet of the boat. Mm -hmm. you know? Wow. That's yeah, awesome. and it chased it all the way up to the surface and ate it going away. Um, you know, the tail was sticking up four feet out of the water. You know, so we knew we knew it was a nice one, but really didn't know how big it was. And she burned off three or 400 yards aligned straight at the rig. Oh, uh, boy, I bet that made you nervous. Yeah, it started jumping. Uh, and still, even then, when it came all the way out of the water, you know, we didn't think it was that big. It was definitely a nice one, but I think I called it like, you know, 700. And then, uh, so we raced around chasing it down in reverse for. Was, there, was she jumping or? Yeah, she jumped twice. Once going straight at the rig, and then once we got close to her again, she took another big, big run away from the rig and uh, jumped again. But we never got like a broadside look at her to see the length. But, mm -hmm. um,. Yeah, we almost got the leader. We were probably 10 feet away from grabbing the leader, and I could just see her paddling kind of deep, and that was the first good look I got at her. I was like, man, I, guys, that thing's giant. I don't know how big it is, but it's giant. And the angler, uh, Scott Anderson, he's he's a good friend of the owner, and he's actually the one that introduced me to the, to the Crump family that owns the best trait. Um, so super thankful for that. But he's a... He's a great angler. He travels all over the world, you know, going to big fish destinations, you know, Cape Verde, Azores. So he's might have even caught a grander before, huh? Yeah, he's never weighed one, but he's definitely caught a handful in the, you know, 900-plus range. But, um, wow. So that's the guy you want in the chair for that fish, you know. And during the fight, he's, he was like, man, this thing's heavy. I'm telling you, this thing's this is a big one. I was like, yeah, yeah, it's a 700-pounder. It's a nice one, but <laughs> it's not that big. And, uh then she once we got straight up and down on the fish we rolled the drag up to 60 or so pounds and uh what was the duration of the fight start to finish you know? uh it was two and a half hours uh total fight time but the probably half of that was after the after she died so she made one big run kind of just melting it straight down you know took probably another 300 yards 400 yards so we were probably halfway into the backing probably seven or eight hundred yards of line out at this point um she made a big run and then you just slowly see it start to slow down she was still taking steady but it wasn't like that initial you mm -hmm. know and i was like guys i think i think that was it i think she just totally exerted herself and i think she died so we you know it kept slowly slowly slowing down so we rolled the drag all the way up to 90 pounds and uh Scott had to palm the spool just to get her to stop. So, sinking, right? Yeah, even just, you know, that dead weight of that fish sinking was enough to pull 100 pounds of drag, you know. That's what they say a lot of times with these big fish. Like, if if they do die, a lot of times you don't get them. That's, like, it because. Yeah, I've, I've always been a, <coughs> you know, an advocate of fishing 80s just for, you know, they're a little more maneuverable and. 130 is a lot of real you know they're three times the weight of an 80 but i'm telling you man if you could y'all would y'all have them on on a 130 on a 130 yeah. if you didn't have that on a 130 there's no doubt in my mind you'd have never caught it really no way no even that 130 i mean that was 
Just because like you can't put that much drag is ninety pounds of drag. Like that's that's it. Yep. Oh. Yeah, an eighty, they make like forty four pounds of drag. Um, you know, and that wouldn't wouldn't have even it wouldn't have stopped them from mm-hmm. sinking though. That's crazy. That's crazy. They'll put that much more drag on a one thirty. That's mm-hmm. nuts. Yeah. Yeah, because I've kind of always said the same thing. I've I've fished a couple tournaments. I mean, I'm, uh, I definitely don't have the experience you do, but. I've always said the same thing, and even, like, with swordfish, and I feel like a lot of the times the guys go really heavy on swordfish, and I'm like, you can do it with a lot less. And it's true, you can do it with a lot less, but there's that one time yep. that you need it. <laughs> you need that more. Yeah. I I felt, even with a 130, I felt a little undergunned with that fish, you know. I, I wish they made something bigger. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, that's really not a line capacity thing. It's just a, you know, that... <clears throat> The drag and the, uh, you know, the cranking power. We were in, after she died, you know, we were in low gear, and he would palm the spool. Once we finally got it to stop sinking, he would palm the spool, and I would just barely bump it forward, you know. I like to put the bow into the current, so you're stemming the current and kind of let the current help you Mm -hmm. scope her up also, you know. And we're just bumping it forward, and then we would race back in reverse and get as much as we could and then stop it again. And then pull forward. This went on for an oh, hour and a half or so. And we finally got her got her Just coming up. Just winching her up. Huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we finally got her coming. And uh, the last, you know, 200 yards was fairly easy. You know, once you get that momentum coming up and they kind of start to. Uh, There's not so much stretch, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, yeah, thankfully that, you know, everything was just right. We. What kind of, what size was your main line on that? If you don't that know. was uh, 130. Berkeley Pro Spec. So it's 130 mono. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, 130 mono and 400-pound extra hard and a big, meaty 14-aught Mustad hook. She was hooked good. She uh, was hooked right in the corner. Was she tail-wrapped or anything? Yeah, right in the corner of the mouth. Come up, straight, head up first? Yep. Dead as a doornail. Yep. There was no line wraps on her body or anything. She was... Wow. She just overexerted herself. I think a lot of those big fish do that, man. They... They give it everything they got trying to get away or, you know. Mm-hmm. Man, I've, I'll tell you, I was actually talking to Craig about this yesterday. Like, when we think we whenever we let fish go, a lot of times they're good, you know. But mm-hmm. I, I've recently started keeping some, like, triple tail to help the, uh, the, uh, the aquaculture center. They're trying to cultivate them. And, like, fish that I thought for sure were good, you know, weren't hooked that bad and stuff. And you try to keep them alive, and they end up dying. Like, you know, it really blows your mind. But yeah, I think the s- the stress overall. You know, <laughs> some see that with banding ducks and stuff. Some of the ducks we've banded, uh, you know, they look fine, and then you let them go, and they're just like, yeah, they can't make it. You know, it's it's crazy. I think sometimes we think they're a lot hardier than than what they really are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on that same same note, I kind of wonder sometimes if you know, at least with marlin and some of the pelagic fish you know they look real lethargic when you let them go and they just slowly sink and as soon as they hit that thermocline you know maybe they get more oxygen or maybe they maybe didn't. it sparks them off maybe so oh, hopefully <laughs> i like to th- like to think <laughs> that like anyway to think hopefully yeah for sure we ta- we satellite tagged a fish uh in the gulf this is back in i think 2016 and uh it was kind of marginal when we released it i was like man why are they even why are they even wasting a tag on this thing it's gonna sink and and it went down you know 
it wasn't kicking, but it was it was it righted itself and it ended up surviving. So who knows? Wow. That's crazy. So whenever you guys, well, I mean, I guess what made you decide to take that fish back? I mean, you guys got it up in the in the boat. And yeah, we we boated it right at dark, and uh, another boat that was to raise them up. They were fishing by us, and we weren't able to get it through the door. Uh, you know, with just the five guys we had on board. So I called uh, Captain Hunter Forbes over, and and he put two of his mates on board, and, and they helped us get it in the boat. And then we pulled a tape on it. You know, started to get some rough measurements and, you know, everything. All the formulas were saying it was going to be, you know, well over the mark. So we opted to just chug in and go away at Orange Beach. This was like, I think, day one of a four-day trip. So the guys were like, man, let's just go away in Venice and shoot right back out. I was like, man, I I think this might be uh, might be the biggest one ever caught in the Gulf. We ought to just go away at Orange Beach for our friends and family and, you know. Yeah, make it a big make it a big deal yeah so. you know that fish was a huge deal for us and huge deal for orange beach you know they're getting a nice replica mount downtown or somewhere in the city of it really mm -hmm. so that's really cool that's awesome man that's super cool but uh yeah i didn't i didn't think you know as soon as she popped her head up i was like man that's a big fish but the second was th this the first afternoon that you guys had got out there mm -hmm. first day first day so mm -hmm. y'all had just gotten out there and we're like yeah, I could see everybody wants to make the weekend of it. You're on a fun trip. <laughs> yeah, one of the one of the guests on board it was his first time marlin fishing in the Gulf, and that was the first marlin y'all caught. Too. First marlin he'd ever seen. <laughs> He's like, I don't really have a whole lot to reference this off of, but I think it's big. I was like, Oh no, dude, it's <laughs> it's definitely big. <laughs> but like, sometimes you need some of that uh, that that new guy good luck energy no doubt it seems like it happens like that on charters for me all the time yes people they they come and they catch a big giant something i've never seen before on their first trip yeah good attitude good you know good positive vibe so it goes a long way man everybody is that's one thing about my my crew is they have you know just a super good attitude even if it's the last day of the tournament and you know we're good ways back you know everybody just stays good spirits yeah stays in really good spirits you know we lost two before we killed that one we'd lost two fish back to back over 500 pounds you know and and they're still just you know having a great time thankful to be there and yep. you know that, that definitely means a lot i think the more you the more you do it you start to realize losing fish is just part of the game you're playing mm -hmm. <laughs> yep you're gonna lose them that's the way it goes that's super cool man like i can't imagine like the feeling of having the biggest fish in the gulf of mexico <laughs> that's what everybody wants right <laughs> yeah definitely a dream you know dream come true yeah. i uh like i said when as soon as i touch that that fish's bill the second i grab the bill to start pulling her through the door that's when it like kind of resonated it hit a little bit i was like man hit this, a little bit harder huh? this is <laughs> giant you know i yeah. pulled a handful of fish in the boat and it was just so much uh so much bigger in every aspect you know the bill was as big around as my arm you know and i i was pulling her through the door and i backed up and my back hit the salon window or salon door and we still weren't even to the anal fin there's still like five foot of fish hanging out of the boat and this fish was 145 inches uh, mm -hmm. from lower draw to tail yeah and, and and did they get the um otolus on it yep they did and then then do we know the age of it yet uh the biologist estimated she said it's probably 30 to 33 years old just a guess but um be interesting to know 
yeah just think how many miles that that fish has traveled you know she's yeah i think about that all the time too it's like did that fish come from somewhere else into the gulf or did that fish many times maybe many times or yeah. Maybe, yeah there's a lot of them that kind of that one that y'all satellite tagged y'all ever see them which where they go like out of the that gulf? fish never left the gulf and i kind of <clears throat> kind of always believe that you know our water temp never gets super super cold mm-hmm. you know and key west and cuba don't particularly have good marlin fishing at any point in time so it doesn't make you think like they're exiting through that way so i just kind of believe that the majority of them stayed maybe they just went a little deeper during the winter or a little further offshore but um we we've caught them i mean no kevin beach has always tried to catch one in january but i think he's caught one in every month mm-hmm. yeah i've other caught in january i've but caught that's a, not necessary we just fish so little in january yeah i've caught a blue marlin and a swordfish all 12 months all 12 months okay. my best best day in the gulf actually was in december really yeah we were six for nine in like four hours holy cow over at Appomattox. i was looking through your uh instagram a little bit up until that fish i mean you guys have had some pretty outstanding years huh yeah <laughs> yeah we've golf's been good to us so i ran a boat called the hoot at for for nine years uh for a gentleman named keith richardson we based out of grand isle for most of our most of our time but we did a good bit of traveling in the springtime and then we would come back and do tournaments or just fun fish right. out of grand isle but that's a that's a great spot to be kind of based out of because it's very centrally located for you know you can get to green canyon very very easily and you know all the way to the stuff off of orange beach and all it's accessible yeah, a little more accessible than where most of the sporties really are. Yeah, when you're on this side of the river, you know, based out of Orange Beach, all that stuff to Green Canyon, you know, that's 200-plus miles. Mm-hmm. You know, out of yeah. Grand Isle, you could be at Thunder Horse in 100, or you could be at Neptune in 100. Or yeah. And typically, we get a lot of south-southeast winds, so you're kind of more protected over there, mm-hmm. you know, by the Mississippi River. Yeah. Heading out. But uh, where did you uh, – we'll kind of backtrack now that we – got the full backstory of that fish but where did you um start fishing or how did you cut your teeth Where'd you, how'd you so get into so i grew up in pensacola florida uh <laughs> my dad got stationed there at, in the navy at, when i was very young so i've been there since you know basically as long as i can remember and i started fishing and uh, how old are you now i'm 32 okay so i've been been in pensacola for 30 years 31 years mm-hmm. and uh you know grew up inshore fishing a bunch i had a you know a little john boat as a kid just grew up around the water i used to fish the pensacola pier a bunch and i think it kind of the the natural you know way it evolves for kids is you know you do what's accessible you know you do what you can and then as the you know as you get older you get opportunities to go offshore and go on bigger boats and I love that though, man. It's crazy to me how many of uh, myself included, but how many of these fishermen I talk to, and they kind of grew up fishing on a pier. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy because it gives you that that want. It like forms it into you, like you want. (laughs) Oh yeah, big fish. You know, all kinds (laughs) of crazy ideas and homemade lures and stuff that you know. Trying everything. Yeah. (laughs) Do whatever you can to get them to bite. But uh, yeah, I mean, I really enjoy all all types of fishing i like bass fishing i like flounder fishing flounder gigging i love grouper fishing i love all of it wahoo fishing um that's awesome but i just 
kind of always gravitated towards marlin fishing and you know as i got older you know i realized that that was a little a little too rich for my blood and i could never afford to go marlin fishing you know just because in our neck of the woods you got to go a fairly long ways and yeah i feel like doing it for a living is probably the best way to get to do it all the time so i i ended up doing it uh full time from the time i was i guess 21 full-time private boat fishing did you ever do any charter fishing or no yeah i did a little bit of charter fishing um no like full-time seasons just kind of filling in and one of my best friends his dad was a charter captain he had the snapper trapper in uh in pensacola uh captain paul redmond um i fished with them a little bit and uh another good buddy of mine cody williams his dad was a captain um a private boat captain so i you know just kind of idolized those guys they you know i would do anything i could just to get to hang out on the boat you know i'd go clean fish or wash the boat just so i could hang out at the marina with them and uh you know then you start getting invites and getting rides and so that's kind of how i got into the offshore game i did work at a tackle store in uh pensacola uh called outcast it's a nice store and that was a another good way for me to meet you know a lot of the charter captains and uh Mm -hmm. private name out there yeah just to kind of get in the loop you know very tight-knit community so you got to have an in some way you know yeah that was my way of meeting all the guys and and right after high school i uh took a job down in costa rica with uh brennan moore on the plum crazy and we fished down there for a full year year and a half and then I, you know, was ready to be home a little bit and uh, kind of freelance for most of the tournament season for the next two years. And then uh, I was upgrading my license. I had my license for inshore charters when I was 18, but then I was in the process of upgrading to get my 100 ton. And uh, Captain Miles, one of your other guests from Pensacola, he he called me. He was like, hey, the Houdat's looking for a mate. They're leaving to go to DR in a couple weeks. You ought to you know jump on with them so i called called them up and we were uh headed south in like two or three weeks so uh i was with them for let's see from night 2019 till just this past january uh i was with them full time and we took that 58 Jarrett bay all over the place went down to the dominican three times and uh the virgin islands for a season a beautiful boat huh man that's a that is a machine that thing is a weapon (laughs) i love that boat that boat will always hold a very special place in my heart you know partially because it was my first full-time captain's gig but just you know had some great times and caught a pile of fish on it yeah it's crazy how you come attached to boats (laughs) yeah very much so very much so what you know you just you, you learn it like the back of your hand you know it takes a little while to get the feel for running a boat in rough weather but when you have something like that you know it just it's all second nature mm-hmm. and were you the captain or the mate or did you transition yeah i transitioned so i started with them as a second mate and i have second mate for a year and then uh, i moved up to first mate and did that for a year and then uh the uh, captain got let go and we were looking for another captain and 
the owner wanted to fish a few times as soon as we got home so we i ended up running the boat just as kind of filling in and we had some really good fishing right from the get-go so he ended up giving me a shot to run the boat full time and you know the rest is history that was 2016 so i, I ran that boat for him till uh january of 23 wow that, that was, that's a good run in this business you know a lot of the you know, the nature of the business is really kind of a lot of turnover. You know, people get in and out, and, uh, you know, it's hard to find that stability and security. Yeah. And also, like, a lot of these owners, I mean, some of them don't even keep boats that long. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's, it takes a – it's kind of a unicorn when you find an owner that has the funds to do it, obviously, but also that has the, uh, the passion, you know, because – And, like, your passion and his passion mm -hmm. kind of being the same – yeah, they got to be passionate about it because, I mean, let's be honest, just to do it, I mean, it's a very, very expensive sport. And if you don't absolutely love it, you know, it's just, it doesn't make sense. It's too expensive, you know. Mm -hmm. And and then to find somebody that has those, those two qualities and then that you also can get along with and mesh with very well, you know, that's very hard it's to such find. such a big deal. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, we spend so much time together that um, – you know, there's, it's not an option to not get along. You know, you have to be like best friends, basically your family. That's mm -hmm. how my last, last job was. And I think that's how my new job is. You know, these people just bought, uh, bought that 55 Viking this spring, uh, f kind of first boat program, very new to it. And man, I couldn't be happier. They're super, super good people. Um, and they really, really enjoy it. It's, it's kind of fun building a new program and teaching them and showing them all these new things and just seeing that you know excitement they still love they love all of it they love catching the have bait have they been in it a long time or is it kind of a new program started up? yeah totally new program okay. they caught they all caught uh their first billfish this summer and caught a pile of them to go along with it wow. did y'all fish any tournaments or no yeah we fished a couple uh we fished obbc biloxi and the wharf i think Okay. we didn't it didn't do very well in any of them but we we right. sure had a good time <laughs> <laughs> that's all that counts right that's i mean to finish up the season with that did y'all go back out and fish it all after y'all caught that one or y'all just decided that was enough <laughs> no so we weighed the fish and since we chugged out and we chugged back i still had like 1200 gallons of fuel so we turned and burned and we went right back out <laughs> did y'all really? yeah wow. yeah we pulled right back up to the same area the next morning and uh Marked one on the sonar, wheeled over there to it, came to the teaser. I think we missed it on the pitch, and then I wheeled back through there again, marked a doubleheader, dropped two baits, and caught the doubleheader. Caught like the doubleheader? 300 and a 500. Wow. <laughs> the day after weighing a grander, it's like, man, <laughs> life is pretty amazing right now. <laughs> How much longer did y'all fish? Another day? Or? Uh, we spent three days out there. Okay. We caught four. Let's see. I think we were like four for nine, and four for nine and a white wow it's amazing how how good the bill fishing was this year mm -hmm. I, mean, I don't know i felt like it was better than last i don't know it's hard to really say i, I it's not like i've caught a bunch of them this year but through all the charter captains i'm really close with the mexican gold fishing company so you hear about a lot and like here i think it was in october i mean they talked about like for center consoles catching like 10 you know right around the mouth of the river i mean it was just unreal you know yeah 
yeah, it d- did seem like it was a pretty good year. It kind of got a little bit of a slow start, but it definitely picked up. Uh, yeah, you're right. It might have been a slow start because, like, the Biloxi tournament, it seemed like it was fairly, you know, it was decent, I guess. But it wasn't, like, I've seen it a lot better. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. That's really cool. But um, where are you guys – what are y'all's plans for um, the future? Are you guys um, doing more next year? Are y'all planning on fishing tournaments or traveling? What's y'all's plans? Yeah, we were on the fence about traveling. Um, we're kind of in the process of uh, changing boats. We're looking to upgrade a little bit, get a four-stateroom boat, something with just a little more, you know, sleeping, sleeping room. You know, for those three-day trips, it's nice to have, you know, mm-hmm. at least six or eight bunks. Uh, so yeah, we're just going to do a little bit of yard work. We got to do a thousand hour service on the engines. Uh, and then we'll probably get, get started sometime in February or March for the season. But, uh, yeah, kind of take it easy a little bit during this time of year. So y'all are in the market, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're looking. Yeah. And if anyone else is looking, the boat that weighed the grander is available. <laughs> it's a fishy one. <laughs> That's a really nice boat, though. I mean, dude, you're talking about a 55 with an Omni. I mean, that's a... Yeah, it's it's rigged out, man. It's got two... What C- year is it? It's a 2013. It's got all new Garmin electronics, uh, two Seakeeper 9s. So, you know, it's fuel... Oh, f- it's Seakeeper 2. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, two 9s in that boat is it's a little bit overkill. So, you know, you can shut down in three to fours, and it's just, you know, bobbing like a cork. Mm. Um, but, yeah, we'd, we're going to do... A, pretty much all the tournaments next summer so uh you know they've they've kind of seen that a little more speed would be nice also so um yeah we're not exactly sure what we're going to get but definitely get something just a little bigger a little more fuel what what do you prefer to be in if you if you i mean just as you as a captain if you could run any boat out there um something made out of wood (laughs) really yeah any of those any of those carolina boats are nice you know they all got pros and cons but you know carolina custom yeah definitely a custom boat uh you know i really like Jarrett bays and duffy richie howell bayless any of those scarborough they're all very nice boats um we're actually we're building a 67 richie howell uh it's going to start in may and that'll be like a two and a half year build so we're just looking for an interim boat until so we all y'all do have plans to get big big huh? yep yeah we're gonna do a 67 and i'll get to basically build the boat of my dreams kind of a another dream come true all That's crazy man. at the same time it's wild the, the type of job that is man being able to just be around that you know boats and fishing and you know fish professionally it's super cool right yeah it's it really is man it's kind of it's nice to take a step back and kind of just analyze everything that you get to do you know for a living and appreciate it because you know 99.9 percent of the people in the world don't ever get to see some of the things that we may you know start to take for granted Mm -hmm. you know just it's cliche but even some of the sunrises and sunsets that you look at and you're like (laughs) That's pretty cool, you know. Most people are, most people don't ever see that. (laughs) uh, It is is crazy, man, and, like, uh, it always blows my mind. Like, I I feel the same way about being a charter captain, but, like, anybody that's able to basically make a living recreationally fishing out there is pretty cool. mm -hmm. And um, 
I just think it's crazy how many people do take it for granted. It almost seems like they hate their job. <laughs> I know. I, I talk, I talk, <laughs> I'm sure you know them. <laughs> yeah, I talk to some guys and they're like, oh, we got to fish this weekend. It's like, you got to fish this weekend? <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you go get a shitty job? <laughs> yeah. You should be happy to go fishing. You know, yeah. that's, that's, that's what you live for. Right. What do you want to do? Sit at the dock and rub on this thing some more? Yeah, you got to <laughs> choke pilings all day? Let's, let's go fire this thing up. <laughs> yeah. But I'm I'm super, super excited about building that boat. Um, you know, I've I've always kind of been drawn to boat building, and one day hopefully we'll build one of my own. Obviously not anything on that scale, but, you know, a, a nice skiff or something would be a fun project. But I just really enjoy, you know, enjoy the tinkering and you know the the thought and love that those guys put into those boats you know when i uh when we decided on richie howell as a builder um you know i i googled his you know googled his website and called the number on the website and the guy answered he's like hello it's like uh yes sir is this richie howell's yacht works he said yeah this is richie howell i'm like what the man himself <laughs> <laughs> that's never the case right? yeah i just didn't expect it you know we had a great conversation talked for 30 minutes about you know kind of what we were what we were wanting to do and yeah i'm super excited to to uh go through with it man that's super cool man yeah i know what you mean like my brother just is finishing up on his uh he he basically bought like a 1960 sailboat and it completely when i say completely redid everything like new stringers like took everything down to the to the bare fiberglass and it's like i think he's gonna put the mast on it this week you know he just redid everything and yeah uh the amount of time and everything <laughs> that he put into that thing is just i don't know it's 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 really impressive whenever you look at it and how well how well done everything is you know um how attached he is to a boat like that too something i've never really experienced because i never like built a boat up from the ground up you know mm -hmm. you, you go finance a boat and you start making the payments on it. that's a much different connection than whenever you're actually like mm -hmm. in it working on it and redoing it all the time you know you know that and if it's something you're going to keep for a long time well, he's know. already said he's never going to get rid of it so. yeah he knows that boat better than anybody you know he knows every single square inch of it and the, a lot to be said for that you know yeah no doubt yeah, and it's hard too, cause like a lot of like when you're throwing in a lot of these boats, you don't, you don't know. Like it's not like you built the engines from the ground up and stuff, you know. So you're having to learn how to use all this stuff, but you don't actually know all the component. <laughs> you don't know mm -hmm. every single last component. It takes a lifetime to learn a lot of those things, you know. So yep. it's it's crazy, but that'll be cool, man. <laughs> Getting to build one of those boats and being part of it. Yeah. Stuff finally get to go fast <laughs> i've never had a real fast boat you know which is fine what's fast uh i think the new boat's gonna be you know 38 39 knot cruise wow so it's gonna be a rocket ship 2400 gallons of fuel and you know that's not a not not a knock on the viking product but at all because they do you know they do, they do build a nice production boat but you know when it gets rough you know you gotta definitely gotta slow down what is the main difference between, you know, you hear a lot of people talk about customs and the production boats and even in the, you know, the center console world as well. But mm -hmm. what is the main difference from like a custom and like a, a production boat? Really, hull design and then build quality. You know, there's some some that kind of specialize in, you know, the super high end 
finish work you know so all the interior stuff is just completely custom over the top you know the finest finest joiner work you'll find you know in any fine wood shop uh, but to me the main difference is the the whole design you know they're very very fuel efficient and a very soft ride um, you know the Houdat wasn't a wasn't a fast boat at all you know it was a 26 27 knot cruise but when it was rough you know eight foot eight foot plus you know I passed everybody up in that boat because you never had to slow down you know it was it was was it wood is that is mm -hmm. that a big difference too a lot of your customs are more wood yeah on the more wood of it. the wood is the feel though you know you get that low center of gravity and you get that solid kind of deadened sound to it it doesn't nothing resonates through the hole uh, it's a it's a different feel but yeah just the the ride quality you know I'd, when my mate Addison Gilly started uh, working for me on the Houdat we were running the boat over to Grand Isle and it was like three to fives you know it wasn't ideal but in that boat it didn't really matter you know you could just put the autopilot on and sit back and drink your coffee and that thing would just eat it for breakfast you know it, <laughs> You get spoiled running a boat like that when you never really have to pay too much attention to wind direction. Obviously, you know, you want to safely operate the boat. It's for, that big of a difference, huh? Oh, yeah. You could pick up and run in any direction, and it didn't matter, you know. Six foot right on your chin, and it didn't matter. Wow. That's crazy. That's crazy, man. Well, um, what do you think about um, the state of the Gulf? I mean, you fished, you, you fished it your whole life like how do you feel in like terms of conservation is there anything we can do in your opinion for the blue marlin or anything different um or any fish really i don't know about the blue marlin i mean i feel like every year every couple of years they kind of make steps to make the make the uh you know the kill turn the uh kill size larger um you know i think they should maybe incorporate a rule where it's like first fish over 500 pounds you know gets x amount of money and then after that you know don't you know don't kill anything under 500 pounds or i don't know I, incorporate some kind of rule like that but overall i think you know as, as long as you're not meeting the you know the quota uh you know i think you're okay because the billfish foundation does a great job of you know making sure that we're not you know depleting that resource but you know, there's a handful of other fish that I would like to see them change the uh, change the regulations on. Um, you know, I think mangroves should be five. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm glad they changed the cobia regulation. I think that's gonna, I think that's gonna help. Uh, I think we've already seen a help from that. And then the tunas. You know, I think. Um, I think one per person's good. I think if you can keep, you know. One yeah. one yellowfin, yeah. I'm probably may make a few people upset when I say that, but you know, if if your people are happy with killing a 50 pounder, then you know, let them be happy. But that's more more than enough fish to feed them and their family either way. But if they want to hold out for a, you know, a bigger one, then then let them go. You know, there's nothing wrong with with letting them go. I think the kind of the context of the word limit you know nowadays it's just changed a lot like i still look at it as 
your limit is the maximum amount that you are legally allowed to possess. It doesn't mean that like you have to catch <laughs> that every day, you know. That's just the max that you can actually have. Yeah, people like to say that that's that means you had a good day, right? If you limit it out. So. Yeah. How many how many great and memorable days of fishing you have where you didn't come home with a limit of fish, regardless wow. of what you're targeting, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, it's the same thing with, you know, most outdoor sports across, you know, across the board, you know, duck hunting, everybody wants to have their limit and be back at the camp eating by 830, you know, or, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I think it's, I guess that's social media that's kind of changed, changed a lot of that. But as far as regulations go, um, I wanted to get your input on that too. You know, as far as the elephants, I know it would really hurt the, the wintertime, you know, charter fishery but what if they did uh like a slot size on the you know the lump fish or something those those big fish that come inshore there if you did like how they did on the bluefins where you can have one over and one under or yeah um i don't know i i I think that uh i I think that slots make sense for certain fish like redfish and snook obviously Mm -hmm. that has seemed to help in a lot of ways like because but you know what they just did with uh speckled trout in louisiana they just you know went from 25 fish a person to uh of 12 inches is the minimum now they've put a slot on the speckled trout and i know i'm taking it out you'll see though i'm, I'm kind of comparing the two it's like i think speckled trout the oldest they'll live is like 12 years mm-hmm. bull reds you know they'll live up to be 40 years old and the older they get the more eggs and sperm they they tend to produce up until a certain point i believe but the bit bottom line is the bigger ones are your breeding stock right <clears throat> but with speckled trout um if a lot of your fish are only living 10 to 12 years old then how like we should be able if they're going to put a slot they went from 12 inches 25 a person to 15 fish and only two fish can be over 20 inches mm-hmm so they basically put a slot on on the speckled trout. Now we should be able to see a difference in like eight to ten years, I would think. But mm-hmm. I don't think you're going to see much of a difference just because they don't live that much longer. And their your main breeding stock of fish is like I think is from like eighteen to like twenty three three inches. You know, the bigger ones aren't necessarily spawning as much as your your mid sized fish. So as far as the tuna goes, I don't I don't really know, man. Um, I mean. I think there's a lot of things you can you can try, but I, I don't know how much it'll really really help. Mm-hmm. Who knows? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's a stock of fish that you're trying to, uh, you know, trying to help, but they're not not necessarily a resident fish, so it, they're coming from so many different places that. Yeah, they say a lot of them come from like like the west coast of Africa and, mm-hmm. and different places like that into the Gulf. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, do you think that the, that the yellowfin tuna are like, are under problem? Like, do you think that there's less now than what there used to be? Mm. <coughs> I think there's, I think there's less than there used to be. You know, you used to see them in open water a lot more. Um, granted, I don't spend a ton of time looking for them, but, um, you know, they don't seem as active at the rigs, you know, normally you know 15 years ago any rig you pulled up to at some point throughout the day you would see them putting on a good show you don't see that quite as much anymore but um i think some of that is also them evolving just due to the pressure you know they don't Mm -hmm. they're 
there may be a few less of them, but they're definitely a little bit harder to catch. You know, it's just yeah. Um, I mean, it's like it's weird too, because like I'll say that too, but then whenever you do see them, like this, I mean, this fall, like literally, like two miles out of South Pass, and you'd see acres of them, just as many as you could ever imagine. Like yeah, you know, and then like it sucks too, but you know, their own pogey balls and different things like that that we we t- we see a lot of this time of year. Um, which is November, October, November, December. You see a lot of, you know, mullet, pogey balls and that kind of stuff. And, I mean, dude, you're just – there's just sharks everywhere. And these guys might catch – they'll be like, oh, we caught one, but we lost six or seven mm-hmm. to sharks, you know. <laughs> and that's – when you see that many getting killed, you know, due to sharks and stuff, and then they're still there, you know, mm-hmm. it's not like – you know, we we killed 30 this week, and now next week there's none. It's like, no, they're still, you know, they're still there. I, I just don't know how we know how many are really out there, you know. Yeah, there's no way to no way to really tell, I think, you know, especially since some years, you know, there's going to be this current that pushes more of them that way, and some years, you know, mm-hmm. they may not show up as well. Um, so that's a, that's a hard one to answer. I know one thing's for sure, there's more sharks than there used to be. Yeah. Um, what about cobias? What's your opinion on the cobia thing? Um, I think it was good. I think two cobias is enough for a boat, you know. And what I, I what I like to do if somebody really wants to target cobia, you know, like the first one that's legal, we'll take that one. But then I'll kind of hold out for mm-hmm. the rest of the day to try to and find a trophy. You know, I've always wanted to catch a, a hundred pound plus cobia, and actually this year, man, that was pretty cool seeing them all in the manta rays the last couple of years i've been fishing like there's like a manta ray migration that kind of comes and the manta rays will just school up and be kind of around the mouth of the river into the delta around south pass a lot too mm-hmm. and um i always have it in my mind that I, one day i'm just gonna stumble on a giant right there so every year i, I try and it'll happen <laughs> target them yeah i that was my favorite kind of fishing growing up i used to love sight fishing off the pier and going up on the tower and going down the sandbar and I love cobia fishing. But what do you think about the cobia regulation? I think the regulation's good. You know, Florida's been that way for quite some time now. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, as soon as they started to see a decline in our numbers on, along the beach. but uh, They got rid of a lot of those tournaments, too. Mm-hmm. And those tournaments, man, it's mind-blowing how many cobias get killed in those tournaments. Yeah. Is, man. And last year, for you know, there's still a couple of them that go on in Destin. And there was one legal fish weighed in the tournament out of... I don't know how many boats, you know, and and you, back in the day, you know, 10, 15 years ago, you could go see 20 or 30 sight fishing in a day, no problem. And now, now you'll go four or five days without seeing one. Um, I just, I wonder if it's a, a change in migration or if that stock of fish doesn't return to where they spawned or I don't know, but there's definitely a lot less cobias than there used to be. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I was fishing in uh, in Green Canyon. This was 20, I think it was 2016, the first, like, very slow year we had of, of migrating cobias. And we were fishing at Atlantis, and I'm not kidding. I saw a school come through that was a mile, a mile or so long. I mean, there was cobia? thousands and thousands of them on top migrating from east to west. See, and I've heard guys in, um, in – uh, in Venice, like deckhands that have told me about Dawson Wells. I mean, he he told me of times where he's like seen way out west of like 
hundreds. I've seen schools of 50 and 60 before. I don't know, but he said like th- there was like as far as you could see in sure. every direction, yep. just cobias. Solid brown. Place. Yeah. And um, I've heard other captains talk about that, and I've never seen it, but, you know, <laughs> where they all come from, it's, it's, it's crazy. I think they kind of right around Tampa or just north of Tampa, maybe they just – there's a – a southerly current that pushes them into the shore there, you know, around Apalachicola, and then they just kind of ride the beach. And then maybe some years that current isn't as predominant, and they just shoot straight across and end up at you know right yeah. off right off the river. Yeah, and I think that there's something too like like with triple tail and cobia. I think they're somewhat similar in, in different ways, but the. Uh, like whenever we have really really low river years, it seems like all that stuff is really concentrated around the Mississippi River. Mm-hmm. And um, just fishing out of Venice, I mean, I fished out of Venice for ten years, and there you see how the rising of the falling of the river. You're talking about all the water throughout Canada, the United States, coming into the Gulf of Mexico. Mm-hmm. And every spring, whenever you have that snow melt, that river gets high, mm-hmm. and then it falls again once all the snow melt's gone. And I think over the last thousands of years of that happening, that these fish have learned to react to the river in a lot more ways than we give it credit for, Mm -hmm. you know, throughout the entire goal system, whether it's blue marlin or tunas. But like whenever you see, you know, this these bait pools and different things happening this time of year and then all of a sudden you're seeing acres of large tunas, you know, it's. You you see a lot more out of Venice, I guess, is what I'm trying to say, and the changes of everything happening and the evolution of the species. Yeah, you know. you're right there in the best estuary of the world. I mean, that's right in your backyard, and you see it on you know on the full spectrum. Yeah, that's a, that's a special place, man. It really is, man. I've uh, I've really loved getting to learn to fish out of that place, and for a place that has <laughs> so little going on, there's a lot going on right there. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. It's kind of the best of everything. Yeah, it's it's nuts, man. It really is. Uh, yeah, that salinity. I mean, the salinity is basically what drives, you know, I feel like the majority of that spawn. You know, the mm-hmm. certain fish go further inshore looking for a specific salinity to lay their eggs in. And, you know, on years where the river's, the river's low, they maybe they have to go further inshore. And That's what it seems like, yeah. Like, I mean especially with like cobia like i mean cobia was pretty much good all year this mm-hmm. year because we've had two consecutive low river years um and the cobia were just all over the place and triple tail too and then you talk to people from like dolphin island and mobile and they talk about how slow it was or mm-hmm. whatever the case may be and um it kind of coincides with the river you mm-hmm. know because if you have a really high river a lot of your biomass will get pushed down the beach that way sure you know? so yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think that there's a lot to that. Um, it seems like to me, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know flounder, flounder the same way on years where it's you know you have a drought, they'll be a lot further up in the river when they spawn, so you have to go up further to find them. But you know, years where it's, uh, let's see how it would whatever when it they don't have to go further up the river to spawn you know the the season's a lot shorter they get it done and they're gone mm-hmm. yeah yeah like this year man I, I don't know if i've ever heard of a year with such little rain really crazy mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean everywhere it's just starving for rain <laughs> but um i mean what else with um 
regulations. Anything else you? Mm. Back on the flounders again. I know that they just changed their regulation to where they're you can't gig them anymore or catch them anymore during their spawning time. And man, I've already seen it's been going on for what two or three years now in yeah. Florida. And I've seen a, a huge difference. We went gigging a few times this year, and you know you're seeing. 100 150 little juveniles every night you know fish that are eight to eight to ten inches long so i think that stock's going to come back for sure yeah um, you know a lot of us like in in louisiana we had uh several years of really bad flounder and i've had guys on here talking about it and it's funny though because everybody's so split on it you mm-hmm. know some people say that it was because of the oil spill and they sunk a lot of oil and it killed a bunch and now they're just making recovery and then they're going to blame it on the regulation change you know saying that we actually helped that much and it's to me honestly i don't know like it to me it's almost naive for us to think that we could hurt the flounder population with gigs seeing that you see how many are like on one shoreline mm-hmm. and then just 10 feet that way god only knows how many are sitting you know right there that you're never going to be able to see mm-hmm. but then again you see how good some of these guys are at gigging them. <laughs> it's like, that's gotta, you know, that's gotta hurt. And they're allowed to do it commercially, you know? Yeah. And they, especially here in Mississippi, I mean, they put the hurt on them. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. They whack them. Yeah. And that's the one, I guess they're, they're still legally allowed to gig them also. It's just the recreational guys that aren't, you know, and they're real, like you said, they're not the guys who are actually putting the, the main impact on them, but yeah. it's gotta help some. Yeah, it does. Man, that's got to be pretty cool feeling though for you to be doing like being a captain and stuff and and catching a fish that large at your, at your age. I mean, like yeah. you're fairly young, right? I yeah, mean, 32 years old. And when did you become big skipper? How uh, old were you? 24. You were 24. 24 when I started running the Houdat, and yeah, 30, 32 years old having the Gulf record is it's kind of hard to hard to put in words, man. It's very very thankful for you know, my boss and giving me the opportunity to fish a bunch, you know, we, I was a part of a program who was, you know, the Houdat was hardcore. Those guys, you know, we fished a bunch and, you know, that was kind of the one thing that I was upset with when I lost my job. Uh, you know, he got out of, got out of fishing. Uh, oh, he shut the whole operation down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He got rid of the boat and got, you know, take a few years off. Um, you know, just, get everything back in order and i was worried i was like man i'm never gonna find another program that gets to fish as hard as as we did on that one and you know these new guys have really fallen in love with it and they want to go every time the weather's nice you know so we fished a bunch this year and they you know that a lot of that is you know my success is due to them giving me the time to you know put in out there yeah it takes time man it really does <laughs> you know even you know just getting to learn that sonar you know that's such a such a huge tool but unless you know how to use it it's worthless you know so yeah. a little bit of a learning curve with that but i had the the pleasure of getting to use one this past summer i hopped on with some guys and they didn't really know how to use it and i was like look man i've never used one either I said, but I've been fishing these rigs my whole life. I know what should be where. You mm-hmm. know. I know where to look anyway. I know. <laughs> I think I have an idea. And I think I marked one or two fish, but uh, still definitely not confident with it. I could see how it, you know, it's not the hardest thing in the world, but I definitely see how the more experience you have with it and seeing what, you know, what's supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. Or 
I think it would take one or two fish to really get confident. We never really we never caught one, so that yeah. that doesn't make you confident at all. You know, <laughs> it's crazy how they're they're very predictable. I don't know what it is, but if you mark one and it's doing two point four knots, it's a blue marlin, and he's probably gonna bite. <laughs> really, two point four knots is like the magic number. I don't something about it. It just all seemed to be going that fast, and if they're going faster than that probably a nice one you know really? but not too much faster hmm. but yeah that sonar is a did the hoot app boat have that no, no it didn't no so we we got to learn how to do it the old-fashioned way and we're i'm a pri- that's probably good though right because yeah. if you started out just using the sonar i mean i feel like that's not i mean i feel like you don't learn Mm-mm. as much as if you had to start without it right yeah because if you know what happens if that thing breaks during a tournament you're just gonna throw your sucker in the dirt and go home <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i we do a lot of trolling um not that i dislike live baiting but you know i've just especially before i had the sonar i was kind of like you know we need to cover ground and just always been kind of drawn to trolling but uh yeah having the sonar um it's it's easier to work when you're when you're at live bait speed you know there's a lot less clutter and interference and you know the targets are moving slower and things stay on the screen for longer so it's a little bit easier to kind of dissect what's going on but i think that that uh sonar is much more effective in open water you know if you got the the confidence and the balls to go kind of ride around and in an area you think there might be fish i think it's much more effective in open water you mean like not around a rig at all Mm -hmm. really Mm -hmm. wow just because you get you know you get that signal bouncing off the rig and the drill ship and you know three other a lot of interference three other boats that are you know fishing there and that and having that big fixed bait you guys will do that you guys will just like stop in open water and Mm -hmm. just look around yeah (laughs) yeah i caught I would say probably 80, 90% of our fish this year in open water. Really? Just go out there, you know, go to Lloyd's Ridge or go to the spur or the steps. If the current's good, the, you know, the water's right, like, you know, why wouldn't they be out there? They're just not concentrated. You know, you got to, you know, to me it's more like hunting. You got to go hunting and you got to go find them and, you know, instead of just pull up to the feeder and wait on them to come eat you know it's you know i feel like those the rigs are awesome don't get me wrong they're you know they're great but the fish act totally different you know if you raise one in open water that dude may not have eaten since yesterday so he's going to be you know he's going to be a lot more aggressive you you get a bite out of every single fish you raise in open water compared to at the rigs you know half the fish you see are going to come in blacked out and lazy and just kind of check your stuff out and then and get leave. out of there because huh? mm-hmm. yeah. they got a buffet of you know whatever they size eight 15 minutes ago mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah that makes sense man you know and but yeah you got to have balls to go out there and just and try yeah i guess <laughs> we had some and we had some great fishing right at the nipple right out front of pensacola um how about those fads out there uh, you fished them at all yeah i fished them we haven't had any like crazy success. We've caught a handful of white marlins around them, but um, I, I definitely think it's a step in the right direction for mm-hmm. Florida. As far as I think they need a bunch of them though. I think yeah. there needs to be like fifty times that many. Yeah, <laughs> put like you know three dozen of them, you know, spread out to where not everybody just kind of parks on them and you know rapes and pillages. You know, the spread spread it out just a little bit. 
because um, I've fished other places where there's tons of fads. You know, the Dominican Republic, yeah. they have hundreds of fads, and they're they're very effective down there. But um, you know, I think I think eight is you know it's a step in the right direction. But I would love to see love to see a lot more of them. It's crazy how these like uh, other countries with a lot less resources than us can get these fads out in huge numbers and then like, man if you saw the way those guys in the dominican put fads out it would give you nightmares <laughs> oh my god yeah they take like a quarter inch poly and unbraid it so they have three separate strands and they'll put an anchor on uh you know on three different boats and they'll spread out into a triangle so that the current doesn't you know, pull the fat in any direction. It's got three different anchors, and it always stays right in the middle. And they'll just chunk that weight over, and it's crazy. They're in a 16-foot panga, you know, 20, 30, 40 miles offshore, rough as hell. And, um, you know, you would think that they would they would stretch that rope out, you know, and put the, put the daub in the water and stretch the rope out. Nope. They got all that rope in the boat and just throw that fad weight and lines going everywhere i'm just like man i don't Have think you like helped them do it or whatever yeah i've i've got a well one of my mates was a uh puerto rican guy kevin alexander and he you know he got close with the locals and they would kind of exchange messages and he got a lot of fad numbers from them and fishing reports and yeah they sent us a video of of uh of them putting them out just kind of like talking shit like this is how real men put fads out i'm like man i don't think that's how i would have done that <laughs> but they they last you know it's rough super rough down there and they put them in in deep water you know they'll put fads in four or five thousand feet of water holy cow in a panga you know and holy they shit, it's man. rough as hell and they stay there they're they're there all year long they catch big elephants during the winter and they catch blue marlins and mahis all summer that's crazy man but there's they'll have them you know, spaced out a half a mile or so, and they'll have them in strings, and you kind of just go down the string, and then the next string will be like a mile or two over, and they'll have a bunch of them in a line. Wow. That's pretty cool. <laughs> and do they keep them subsurface, or like... There's, there's are uh, on top. They just have like a big net with a bunch of random bottles and styrofoam and stuff, and they bundle it all together, and then they have a small float with a bunch of uh, palm fronds you know, from a palm tree tied together. And so it's kind of, they say that the, uh, putting something natural on the fad, uh, helps growth, you know, it grows faster. And so yeah. they'll just, they'll jump in and every month or two, they'll add a few more fresh ones to it. And palm leaves and stuff. Mm -hmm. hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Those, the guys that put them out there, those, those local guys from the Dominican, they're tougher than, man, those dudes are, they're, those are real men down there. <laughs> they uh, they catch all those blue marlins hand lining, and it's pretty cool to watch. They they'll pull it. They got no electronics. They'll pull up to the fad, stop, and just look down in the water and be like, "Oh yeah, there's one here." I'm like, what did you see it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just saw one. All right, cool. <laughs> that is really cool, man. Who's um? What kind of crew do you got on the? with you right now is uh so i got one full-time mate um addison he's from uh from orange beach gulf shores area and then um how long have you guys been paired up he's been with me for three seasons he was with me for two years on the hoodat and uh and then our first season on the new boat together um 
yeah, I really enjoy fishing with him. He's a he's a really good kid, good fisherman. How old is he? Really good attitude. He's uh, I think he just turned 26, 25 or 26, and uh, yeah, it's it's cool watching him kind of progress and grow. You know, learning the learning the system and and watch him evolve into a, a very good mate. You know, yeah, it's fun to fun to watch. It's a kind of a uh, nice little test for me to. I've always had on the hoot out. I had two full time mates, and and they were both you know very very good fishermen, and um, they they both moved on and took other jobs. So it's kind of fun proving it to yourself that that you still got it and training training a new guy up and get back to that highest level again it's really rewarding yeah yeah i think it's uh like it's something i've interesting i've found with like these captains that have become like yourself that have become captains at like really young ages and um you know there's certain ones it seems like you've seen them like later in life kind of take the wheel but a lot of times it seems like the older ones that have been a mate for so long, they've kind of learned everything from somebody. Whereas if you start young as a captain, a lot of that stuff you have to teach yourself. Mm-hmm. And um, it seems like more creativity comes out of that. Yeah, you know? yeah, I agree with that. I think, uh, yeah, the best way to learn is to learn it yourself. You know, those lessons you learn on your own, they may not always be the easiest, but I promise you'll remember them better than anything. Yeah, they mean more to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and just getting kind of thrown to the wolves like that you know keith richardson was he was a great guy to work for he was super understanding but he was also you know a super hard worker and any questions i had with the boat i mean he knew as much or more about that hoodat boat than you know a lot of captains around here he was you know super good guy to kind of have in my in my pocket to help me with anything you know that's cool man yeah he's he's a good guy yeah, and that that's what you want in a captain, I guess, is somebody you can kind of look up to and learn from. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the same thing goes with, you know, as for your mate, you know, if, you, if you're if you a young captain and you're, you know, kind of ready to take the, take the role on the couch and just watch him work, you know, if you want him to work hard, you better work hard and prove to him, you know, show him exactly the level that you expect everything to be kept, you know, the, from the tackle to the boat to, you know, fishing hard, like... I, you know, it. something I've kind of learned about watching other captains around the charter industry too is the the captain holds the standard. Mm-hmm. Whenever it comes to how clean the boat is, or or you know whatever the case may be, you know if the captain's not going to do it or not going to acknowledge that the mate did it, then the mate's not going to do it. Eventually, he's mm-hmm. not going to see the point if the captain's not acknowledging it and the captain's not holding that standard. Yeah, know, and and the boat you keep is you know 100% the reputation that you hold. So. Um, you yeah. know, people see a sloppy boat, you know, they're going to remember that when your name comes up. So, you know, we just try to, you know, always give it your all and keep everything super nice. I mean, that's what I told my boss when I interviewed him. He was like, so what's like, what are your goals and what's your objective as a captain? You know, cause he'd never had a, a full-time crew or anything like that. So he, ha- he really was just asking because he didn't know. And I told him, I said, you know, my two main goals are safety and you know protecting your investment you know let's be honest this is a multi-million dollar boat and if i'm not doing my job you know i may lose my job but you're going to lose you know a lot of money on this boat so 
mm-hmm. I think I think sometimes that kind of gets overlooked and and people you know don't do that to their best ability but yeah yeah man it's really cool really cool to see uh see some success <laughs> like what what what's happened with you and um all your your story all together is super cool man yeah uh, just takes a little bit of commitment i was you know from a young age i kind of just made it up to myself that you know if i want to be successful doing this i need to go travel and fish in some of these other destinations to where you know our season's fairly long but even in the off season you need to go travel somewhere else and learn something else and so you can put a full 12 month schedule together fishing all year round you know going to we would do the Dominican in the spring and then go to the Bahamas and then come back do all the golf tournament season and then I would go somewhere else during the winter whether it be Australia or Costa Rica or you know just to you fished Australia mm-hmm yeah, yeah, I went there in 2016. That, you know, that... I was there then, too. Were you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that season I had 300 days on the water offshore that season. And that's really the only way, if you want to get... Holy cow. Where you? What were you fishing on? Uh, I fished on Tradition uh, with Tim Richardson in, uh, in Australia. We did uh, five months in Dominican, a month in the Bahamas, full tournament season, and then as soon as I got the boat back to Orange Beach, I flew to Australia for three months. Wow. And, and you were, like, on a, on a mate mm-hmm. position? Yeah, I, I was a mate on the tradition. It's a custom boat over there, and we fished. I was in the country for 80 days, and we fished 76 days in a row, you know, every single day, regardless of what, regardless of the weather. Um, but making a sacrifice like that it doesn't sound like much, but when you get over there and you're gone away from your family and friends for – that's all you're doing yeah that's all you're doing you know it's a sacrifice but if you you know if you want to get good in a hurry you have to sacrifice something you know that was kind of it's like going to college right you know you can either go get a degree and learn a trade or whatever it may be or you can treat your fishing job the same way you know go give it your all go travel go freelance for a couple years and then then you can kind of start to pick and choose jobs and get better positions and and so on and so forth. But yeah, if there's any advice for a, a young kid that's wanting to go far in this, is man, the time when you're soaking everything up like a sponge and you don't have anything holding you back, go travel and get as many different experiences as you can in other places. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I always thought that that's the uh, the route I was gonna go, honestly, and I think. I probably would have if I would have grown up in a slightly different area, got connected with slightly different people. But it seemed like I actually had started off on a private boat and then I went into the charter industry and um, I just kind of stuck with that. I don't know. But you it's find that it. a lot of these captains, everybody has a, has a, a much different path on how they get there, you know, yeah, that's in, into, into fishing. And then, like, you know, some people take the commercial route and then get into the charter and then the private. and. Mm-hmm. Everybody has a different path, but that's a certainly a good way to do it. I mean, the, one, the way you're talking about it, you know. Yeah, everyone's got a different path, and that's just kind of, you know, the, the nature of life. You know, yours, your path has worked out good for you, and, you know, I, yeah. I, uh, when I lost a job on the Houdat, I was honestly, I considered, I considered buying a commercial boat just because, like, I, I didn't know that I was going to find another job that wanted to fish as hard as I do. Like, I'm, 
man, I'd rather go fish every day. Right? I would go. Yeah, I don't want to be held back by anybody. I want to go every single day. Like, I'm a freak, man. I'm telling. Like, I don't. Yeah. I don't do well sitting at the dock when other people are out there fishing. Like, I want to go every single day more than anybody. And I mean, dude, I got a lot of friends in charter fishing that that's why they stay with charter fishing. Mm-hmm. It's because you're fishing it all the time. Mm-hmm. It's like, dude, I don't want to sit there and rub on a boat. <laughs> you know. And that's really the worst thing you can do to a good captain. Yeah, hold them back. Yeah, just hold them back. <laughs> you got to let them fish. You mm-hmm. got to let them. Do it for their sanity. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be a nicer guy to be around if you just let him go fishing. <laughs> what they said, the, uh, one blue a day will keep the misery away. <laughs> yeah, I just got to see one every day, and I'm happy. How was fishing in, in Australia? Did y'all catch anything giant over there? Um, We didn't weigh any granders. We caught... We caught uh, I think we had eight over 800 pounds and three that were over nine, you know, it's hard to say if they were over the mark, but Tim's, I think Tim's caught 30, 38 or 40 granders now. So he's, he knows what blacks, yeah, mostly blacks. So he knows what they look like. Um, we saw a couple just absolute dinosaurs, but big one always gets away i guess aren't you like trolling like meat baits and stuff mm-hmm. is that that's what i've heard yeah pulling big big skip bait and a nice size swim bait like the the scad family it's like a giant cigar minnow mm-hmm. yeah i had the pleasure of getting to know um clayton um yeah walters what's yeah. his last name yeah walters walters yeah that's it and um he's actually who i fished with in uh in in uh june with uh, the Vicero. Okay. And, um, yeah, he fished like nine seasons over there in Australia. And yeah, all the yeah. stories and, and the way that they fish over there is, is a lot different. <laughs> yeah. Clayton's the man. He's a good dude. I uh, I would just about give up fishing the entire rest of the year if I could just do that season every year. That, really? Yeah, man. That that uh, that Australia stuff is is something else. You never know when you're going to see just the most unbelievably giant thing. And it's just that style of fishing is so different than what we do. You know, the bait rigging, the baits, you know, super heavy tackle, very, very uh, basic spread, you know, just two two lines two out. Lines out yeah. So it's just, it's just different, you know, it's very cool. And not to mention everything you're catching for bait is, it's either got a different name or it's something you've never seen before, you know. Yeah. I loved it. Whenever I, I went there, I was kind of like on a backpacking trip, and I didn't have the, the funds to really or the connections to go fish on one of those boats, but would have been super cool. Um, but I actually I made a friend real quick. Australian people are like that. They're, mm-hmm. <laughs> they seem to, like, become friends really easily. Mm-hmm. And I met this guy, and he was like, yeah, man, I'm going out tomorrow if, if you want to come. And I'm like, man, I would never <laughs> – you know, at home, I, I just don't remember me ever just taking somebody out yeah. randomly on a whim that I had just met, you know. But for some reason, I showed him some pictures, and he knew I was a guide back home. So, whatever, he took me out. But I thought it was the coolest thing. Like, we were just, you know, just doing kind of bottom fishing for, like, their coral trout and mm-hmm. stuff. And I thought it was so cool because everything I caught was something I had never seen before. Mm-hmm. And it was in a lot of ways, you know, like – I, I kind of understood why people come from are so amazed with Venice whenever they're coming from Montana or Canada or something like that. And you see their face and they're like, man, what is that? And what is this? And what is that? And it's like, well, I get it now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everything on in Australia has got crazy colors or huge teeth. You yeah. Know what I mean? yeah. Groupers are trout and jacks are snapper. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
There's something. Those coral trout are good eating, though, aren't they? Oh, man. Unbelievable. I remember I took some back to to the hostel and cooked it up for a lot of the people I'd met. Mm -hmm. They all loved it. I was all by myself, so. Where'd you stay at? Um... Man, there's uh, a place – I stayed in Port Douglas for a couple nights, and then I went to Cairns. Um, I mean, I, I did the whole – I did from uh, Port Port Douglas all the way down to Brisbane. Oh, or, cool. Yeah, so I kind of saw – I was there for like three weeks. But, yeah, I mean, I stayed in Cairns. There's like a – I forget the name of that place. There's like this giant bar that's kind of like a hostel, too. Mm-hmm. I stayed at. <laughs> oh, what's the name of that place? You probably know it. Yeah, I've been there. I know exactly what yeah. you're talking about. It starts about. with an F, I think. <laughs> I can't remember the name of it. But, yeah, I mean, the place was. That's a fun city, man. Kansas, really is. Kansas, that's a really fun city. Yeah. We didn't spend many nights. Yeah, it sounded like you were fishing a lot. <laughs> man, those, you know, we would fish seven-day live-aboard charters, you know, on a 49-foot boat. So you got three crew and three guests living together for seven days. And we would go in and get fuel drop off our laundry pick up our groceries pick up our other guys and go straight back out for seven more days um you know and you don't see that kind of uh you know they offer that type of experience in san diego but in the gulf of mexico i mean i guess they do out of texas i guess i take that back i don't know but i've always i don't know kind of a a dream trip for me to be able to guide is to start doing like how they do the chandelier trips Mm -hmm. but basically go leave one of those bigger boats kind of like near the mouth of the river and then be able, I mean, because there's so much right, you know, right there, just kind of 90 miles south of Mississippi that you can fish. And I've learned to fish, you mm-hmm. know, but being able to access it for, through different ways, you know, something I've, I've been interested in. But you see, you see the way that they operate and how much harder these guys <laughs> work in these other places like Costa Rica and stuff. And mm-hmm. it kind of opens your eyes to what might be possible in the Gulf, you know. <laughs> yeah. I've always wondered why there wasn't one of those big cattle boats like the long-range boats from San Diego. I mean, those guys. Yeah. They could. Sort of mean something if like you that. kept one of those in Fushan, you know, and the guys that got off the rakes wanted to go fishing for two days, they could probably afford to do a trip like that maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, nobody's ever – I guess – I think a lot of times people just do what everybody else is doing, you know. So, like, mm-hmm. if you show up in Venice and you learned how to fish on a, you know – triple engine center console then whenever it's time for you to get one you just assume that that's what you're you know mm-hmm. you're not going to rewrite the script you're just going to get and in, fall into what everybody else has been doing you know yeah in 2010 during the oil spill i i ended up in san diego my cousin was a mate on the el dorado a long-range boat and i went out there for the summer and just because everything was closed here so i went and charter fish with him you did a lot more than what you said whenever we're talking (laughs) i'm starting to find out that you did a lot more (laughs) (laughs) yeah i spent four months over there and we fished every single day bluefins um that was kind of before the bluefin really took off it was pretty much just catching schooly elephants you know 20 to 40 pounders but you know you're taking 30 guys and every one of them catches 10 they we would catch you know 300 yellowfins or or so every two days that's a lot of fish cleaning <laughs> yeah it is man and that that's crazy the way that they they like you know we we think we kill a lot in venice and then you see what the, some of these places are bringing back and it's like my it, god <laughs> it is unbelievable in point loma how many elephants come down that dock it is unbelievable i've spent a decent bit of time in venice and you know those guys catch the heck out of them but you know just the volume that's coming down that dock is unbelievable you know if there's 
say 60 or so long range boats and each one of them has 300 every two days you know that's that's a lot of fish man they are whacking them yeah i've talked to i've had clients that have been over there and they, they tell me that they you know some of my clients have said they've been on like 28 day trips over there and mm-hmm. stuff it's unbelievable yeah i can't imagine being on a boat for fun for a month <laughs> that's a long time man. <laughs> that's a far way to go but it's a different client too, man. It is. It's yeah, a much different client than Yeah, the, the fishery in San Diego is so different because just because the guys are coming on a charter boat doesn't necessarily mean they don't you know they don't have their own tackle or they don't know what they're doing. You know, those guys show up with a set of like six matching rods, you know, different line class stuff and all this tackle and it's just very different probably from the majority of your charter clientele, you know, that probably don't. Well, you know, I think, I mean, I, you know, as I say, I used to think that and it used to be like that. But the more I do it, it seems like you start attracting people that really do. You Looking know. for specialty things, you know. Well, you know, I think, I don't know, maybe it's just the way, the way I get to know people. But a lot of times, you know, a lot of charter captains just kind of have it in their mind that your customers don't know what they're doing but if you take the time to get to know them i'd say a lot of them don't but there's definitely if you're going to take the time and to come to venice drive hours away from your home and come somewhere where there's nothing else to do than fish you're coming for something very yeah. specific you know what i mean and yeah. so it's it's much different than like if you're in florida booking a charter and you're there with your family and you decide to go fishing you yeah know? venice is like a destination yeah that's you know? true so um but yeah, I mean, clients have taught me things somewhat. I mean, I, I don't, I try not to like, you know, there's some clients I'm like, man, what you're saying doesn't make sense, you know, and this is why, and this is why this works better. But then some people, I always like to entertain it because maybe they do know something that, that could enlighten me on mm-hmm. something else, you know, or, yeah. Hey, what about that spot right over there? And I'm, and I always like, yeah, sure. Like, let's go see. Cause <laughs> you know, like that, that, that not having that um thought that oh well i've never caught one there before so they're not going to be there this time and they're kind of more or less thinking outside the box Mm -hmm. rather than you know i love hearing other people's input you know even Mm -hmm. i got friends that you know live in other parts of the country i always like send them a shot of the water just like what jumps out at you when you look at hilton's like what catches your eye and everybody will tell you something different you know it's, I, I, really yeah, I would go here because of this or that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like this current direction or I like, you know, mm-hmm. same and, thing. And I've always found like, um, it's crazy to me how many times like I'll fish a rodeo or a tournament and a lot of times in these tournaments, you'll have this excess of pressure with people being in, in your spot or where mm-hmm. you want to be exactly like if you show up to a rig and he's right where you want to be or mm-hmm. or this year in particular there was this area that i was fishing and there was you know like three boats fishing the same area and it was like the second day and there was three boats in there so i'm like dude it's not we're not gonna it's not gonna happen right here why don't we try over here where you know i've thought about it i've never really caught him over here but you know it's like thinking outside the box a little bit mm-hmm. and that gave us a little bit of an advantage and we ended up you know doing really well so it's like that added extra pressure will make you make you know that more creative deci- decision that you've never even made before you don't even know it makes you think outside the box you know so yep and i think that comes a lot with like uh being open-minded and not saying that like oh we're doing it like this mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? this is the way it's gonna work yeah you know? that and 
you know, being in, being offshore, inshore, wherever you are, I mean, it's, you're in the wild, so it's different every day. You know, it changes on a day-to-day business just, just because, you know, it was on high tide, it was good here yesterday, you know, today's a different day. Maybe they're, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I remember one time as a mate, I remember thinking about that. Like we went to somewhere way to the west and we were bottom fishing and the captain that i was with for whatever reason we were marking like giant coral heads and stuff over there i don't know if you know they got a lot of limestone and Mm -hmm. and stuff that's like really good bottom fishing and we weren't catching much but we were marking these giant reliefs off the bottom and stuff and if we didn't catch anything he would just delete the spot (laughs) i was sitting there like man like i I just don't think that this is right (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> save that one for a rainy day <laughs> but yeah those places especially out there on the bottom it's crazy how much those bottom fish move you know and like oh those yeah yeah those bottom fish man the second you think you got them figured out they'll just especially <laughs> the deep drop and sometimes the days you mark them the best you can't buy a bite you know yeah yeah they'll throw you for a loop for sure yeah just when you think you got something figured out mother nature will humble you very quickly <laughs> They definitely will, for sure. Man, well, um, yeah, anything else you wanted to talk about? I think we need to give Craig another shout-out for that artwork, man. (laughs) I'm so excited to have that in my house. Now I just got to figure out where in the house it'll fit. Yeah, dude, like how how long is that? So 145 inches, but the canvas is like what, 150? The canvas, I think, is 180, I think. Oh, 180. I I think he said it was... Uh, what's the math on that? 15 or 15 and a half feet? Something like that. That's crazy, man. Yeah, now I might have to build a new house. (laughs) (laughs) To extend your walls. Yeah. (laughs) That's hilarious, man. (laughs) It's a good reason. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Craig does good work, man. And for all you guys that have never, I guess, seen his artwork, you need to go check it out. It's yeah, cool he's stuff. got a little bit of everything. He can he can turn any anything that you catch or kill into something really cool. Yeah. And that's what I find interesting about, you know, like his art is all it's all around like the personal connection to the art piece. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you don't he doesn't do a lot of like um paintings and stuff that are just like what he wants like yeah, you know, he all of his, all of his pieces have like a connect, like it's either a giataku or a swordfish bill or something that connects the person that caught it, in like a really cool way. Yeah, know? the exact size fish scaled image. I mean, it's, and then it brings that fish back to life. You know, the way he does the colors. And I mean, he's, now he's the man. He's very yeah. very talented. Yeah, that's yeah, it's it's super cool, and it's. I don't know. I have a lot of his stuff in my house, and um, it's always a conversation, you know. And then I look back. I was telling him yesterday. I was like, man, I look back, and I think about how many fish I should have done that I didn't do, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it kind of makes me, like, cringe when I think about, man, I should have gotten that fish done. Or I know. I wish I would have known, Craig. Done. I caught a big yellowtail. I was scamp fishing off Pensacola probably 2000. 11 or 12 and caught like a nine pound yellowtail snapper wow i was like man that would be so cool as a print it's a very rare fish to catch in the north gulf yeah (laughs) i was on a charter and we were catching a limit of limit of beeliners and we were at like whatever 
39 or 49 we needed one more and i was like let me just drop one time i set one bite one bait down and caught this giant wow. yellowtail <laughs> i was like what are the odds of that like why couldn't one of these kids catch that thing Man, it sounds like you got you just got luck i bleeding, got <laughs> <huh>? <laughs> you got some luck bleeding out of you dude. right place at the right time <laughs> <laughs> did people say that you're lucky like no no Mm-mm. you don't feel like you're lucky <sighs> no really not really Seems like you are. I, I think I've just put a lot of time in. You know, I I was looking on your Instagram real quick. That, that coin. What uh, was the significance to that coin? With the my dad got that for me. He got one for Addison as well as a gift. You know, he's he's kind of always looking for ways to to motivate me or whatever, just to you know help me out. And we had a kind of a slow start to the season. Didn't do very well in our first couple tournaments, and he got the coins for us as a gift and you know gave them to us at dinner one night and you know he's like this keep this lucky coin with you and you know you guys are going to do well for the rest of the season and man we didn't have a single bad trip after that really well i take that back i took i took my uh, parents fishing one day and i didn't bring my overnight bag just because it was a day trip and i left the coin at my house i didn't catch shit (laughs) we didn't have a bite so the coin's staying on the boat so the yeah the coin the coin's staying on the boat and then addison and i went up to missouri on a uh bow hunting trip and he was like did you bring your coin i was like oh no i didn't that's my that's the (laughs) that's the marlin coin i didn't know it was a deer coin too but yeah i Needless to say, I didn't shoot anything, so <laughs> I wish I would have had it. Maybe That's there's some. Funny. There's definitely some truth to it. Are you? Do you find that you're pretty superstitious? Or very superstitious. Really? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm very superstitious. Um, I am too, man. I th- I feel like I am about certain things. Mm-hmm. I think it's like uh, people's energy too have like a big hundred percent, big big influence on on what I'm. You know. Yep doing you know we we talked about that uh you know that fish that we killed i don't know how many times before you know kind of like wishing it into existence you know we always really just joking about a grander and grander this and every time we'd get a bite and they would miss it i'm like oh that was a grander 100 percent. like <laughs> you know we just <laughs> never really thought it would ever happen especially here in the gulf you know i knew one day i would probably catch one but uh to do it here in the gulf is is definitely you know super super rewarding and super cool you know yeah it is crazy i've done that multiple times with multiple different fish man Mm -hmm. you just like yeah think about them into until they're there (laughs) happens positive reinforcement you keep telling yourself it'll happen eventually it's going to happen yeah yeah i've heard that too the the law of attraction always uh talk about that like if you don't want something to happen bad enough like if you know people that are really over precautious about things mm-hmm. a lot of times they it, the bad thing that they didn't want to happen will happen but at the same time if you want something to happen bad enough it'll also happen so yeah i mean it's i don't know if you play golf but it's no different than getting up on the first tee and say man i really don't want to hit this in the water on the left <laughs> <laughs> i guarantee you're gonna hit it in the water <laughs> yeah that's the way that goes. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Or like when people talk about I, that's one of the things I got in trouble with whenever I was a mate on a boat. And then now I can't stand it when people ask me. But when you're out in the boat and people are like, man, 
when's the last time you broke down out here? Mm-hmm. You know? Actually, today. <laughs> I remember a captain, like, got so mad at me and was yelling at me because I, you know, was asking, you know, asking when the last time he had ran aground was and we were you know, navigating waters that, you know, he didn't know that well. And mm-hmm. he's like, what are you talking? Like, <laughs> you know, he just lost it on me. And I'm like, Don't now put- I see why, you know, I'm like, yeah. of course, you know, but. Don't put know. that juju on me. <laughs> Yeah, that was funny. That's my favorite question. Have, have you ever ran out of gas? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but I'm going to check it right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really appreciate you uh, doing this podcast, man. Um, yeah, man, I'm glad this all worked out. It was perfect timing to finally get to meet up and yeah. talk. A, Hopefully know. I'll do more of these, man. I've, I, I really eventually want the podcast to become uh, more of my main thing that i do so <laughs> maybe it will i don't know only time will tell i do appreciate it and uh yeah we'll see you hopefully on the leaderboards this upcoming year <laughs> yeah man it was a pleasure keep up the good work i love following along with the podcast and been a huge fan i feel like especially commuting back and forth the grand isle i probably listen to every single one of them some of them maybe twice cool. so keep it up man thanks man appreciate it